Heavenly Father, we have just sung of the truth of your word. Please prepare our hearts this evening. And would we indeed meet the Lord Jesus in your word? Show us his awesome majesty, his authority, and his compassion. Would we be more amazed by him and more thrilled in what he has done for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Muhammad Ali is arguably the greatest boxer of all time. He was known as the greatest. He is famous for his exceptional record, 56 wins and 37 knockouts. And he had some pretty amusing quotes in his career. If you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. (laughs) Or it's not bragging if you can back it up. And credit to him, he backed up his claim to be the greatest again and again by his exceptional record. People prove their authority by backing up their claims. Or take another great sporting example, the world of chess. (laughs) Magnus Carlsen, the current chess world champion, is arguably the best player to ever have lived. He is now the undisputed champion for seven years, now overtaking Garry Kasparov. And he has reached the highest rating ever achieved in the history of the game. And the other grandmasters are trailing far behind. Now, if any random person on the street said they were the best chess player in the world, you would probably dismiss them. But it's a different story if you are speaking to Magnus Carlsen. Why? Because he has proved his authority as the best player again and again by defending his title. People prove their authority by backing up their claims, by what they do. And today we're starting a new sermon series in Matthew 8, 10 to, 8 to 10. We're following on from the Sermon on the Mount, what we saw last year. And Matthew 8 to 10 is all about Jesus' authority, about the God who created the universe stepping into our world and proving it. And Jesus, in the course of his life, made some absolutely gigantic claims. For example, he is the only way to God. Or he is the only way to beat death. Well, that our response to him as Saviour and Lord determines our eternal destiny. And we're right to be sceptical, because these claims are absolutely enormous. The bigger the claims, the more proof we need. If I went out and said, I am the fastest man in the world, even with my knee injury, you would rightly laugh in my face. However, if I beat Usain Bolt in a 100-meter sprint, then your doubts might begin to be lifted. However, much to my dismay, I doubt that will ever happen. But Jesus' claims are far more enormous than being the fastest man or the best chess player or whatever success or accolade we could desire. He is claiming to be God Almighty himself, walking on earth as a man. He claims to be the saviour of the entire world. He claims to be the source of hope for the entire cosmos. So he is going to need to do something enormous to back up his claims. And that's exactly what he does in Matthew 8 to 10. Every week we'll see another opponent. Disease, death, Violent storms, they will all come knocking on his door. And every week, Jesus will knock each of these opponents 
to the ground. Disease will be no match for him. Death will be conquered by him. And demons will beg before him. And disaster will be stilled by him. And so that's what's in store over these next few months. Jesus' awesome authority will be in full display. We will see the vast scope of his authority and the various dimensions of it. But why do we as Christians need to know that Jesus has such authority? Well, there are many reasons, but I think the big reason is confidence. If we're to live for Jesus and to share his good news, our vision statement at St. John's, we're going to need deep confidence in the Lord Jesus. For our own assurance, when the storms of life are billowing around us, or we're feeling the pressures of living for Christ at work or at home, we're going to need confidence that the Good Shepherd will keep us safe in his hands, that we'll never be snatched from him, and that he'll carry us home. Or when we're finding life hard, and we seem to be going through endless trials of pain and suffering, whether ourselves or loved ones, we need confidence that Jesus' authority gives us solid hope in the face of suffering, in the face of unbelieving family members, slandering us for our faith, or apathetic colleagues who don't bat an eyelid. We need confidence that the good news about Jesus will spread unstoppably to the nations. But why are we looking at this section now over the summer? Well, the main reason is we're picking up where we left off in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's our conviction that God speaks through books of the Bible. And as we go through bit by bit, we'll hear God's message to us in the book of Matthew. We're not picking and choosing, but we're letting God set the agenda. So let's pick up from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, 28 to 29. 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Perhaps last year we were amazed by Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The religious elite of the day had nothing in comparison on him. But Jesus doesn't merely prove his authority with his words, his teaching. He proves it with his actions. So let's get to our passage today. So as soon as Jesus comes down from the mountain, after giving his sermon, he meets his first opponent, leprosy. So how will Jesus respond to his first opponent? Well, the first thing we see in our passage is that Jesus receives an impossible request. That's our first heading. Jesus receives an impossible request. Let's read from verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Like HIV AIDS today, leprosy was a terrible dreaded disease in ancient Israel. It was a contagious skin disease that disfigures the skin. Boils would erupt all over the skin's surface and horrible white spots would be everywhere. Your skin would be a deathly stench or bacterial infection. And it's an awful disease that destroys the nerves that sense pain in our bodies. 
Hence, lepers would lose fingertips and toes, and they would break limbs, as they couldn't feel the weight of heavy objects, or the heat of fire, or the cut of a knife. But if the disease wasn't bad enough, the shame and the social stigma that went with it only made things worse. And not only this, lepers were banished from God's people. They had no access to God's presence in the temple. Listen to what Leviticus 13, 45 to 46 says about lepers. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So can you imagine the intense shame in being a leper? To be a leper was to be an image of living death. You would have no friends, and your relatives wouldn't speak to you. You would be completely untouchable, as touching you would make others unclean. And worst of all, you had to live far away from God's presence and God's people. We don't have the picture of clean and unclean in our thinking. But to be clean was to be acceptable. Unclean was to be far away. And in the Old Testament, fullness of life was found in being amongst God's people and amongst his presence. And so to be a leper was to be an outsider of religious outsiders. Being a leper was to be a picture of the visible effects of sin. In some way, it was a picture of of hell. And yet, what does this leper do? He fights his way through the crowd to meet with Jesus face to face, or face to foot, as I should say. And so can you imagine what the crowds must have been thinking as this leper came through? People would have smelled the stench as he came by, holding their noses up at him. And as the leper came through the crowd, people would physically jump out of the way to avoid touching him. And there he is, kneeling before Jesus with his face in the ground. And he asks an impossible request. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In those days, leprosy was an utterly incurable disease. And even today, treatment takes several months with a nasty cocktail of medicines. So the the leper's request would have been utterly impossible. How can anyone make this leper clean? How can anyone bring this leper back to God and back to God's people? But it's worth pausing to see the leper as an extraordinary example of faith. His condition was absolutely hopeless. But his faith was so commendable. He had to fight his way through the crowds to kneel before Jesus. The leper came in humility. He didn't come with his spiritual CV or his spiritual achievements. Instead, he buried his face in the ground as he knelt before Jesus. And he calls Jesus Lord, a divine title in Matthew's Gospel. The leper recognized something about Jesus. He recognized his lordship and his authority. And he didn't say, I deserve to be made clean. Instead, he asked, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
And the leper came not only in humility, he came in confidence. It takes some courage to fight your way through a shaming crowd. And he doesn't say, if you can, make me clean. He says, you can make me clean. Now that's faith. Absolute trust in Jesus mixed with absolute poverty of spirit before him. And pride will keep us far away from Jesus if we don't see our need to be forgiven. It's only through humble confidence that we'll experience the joy of forgiveness and our sin being cleansed. One of my favorite movies is the film Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce, the great political activist, and his fight to abolish the slave trade. There's an absolutely brilliant scene in the movie where he goes to ask advice from his old pastor, John Newton. He had reached a crossroads in his life. And John Newton uh, gives Wilberforce and a wonderful parting gem. Two things have I learned in my life. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Christ is a great saviour. Confident faith mixed with humility. But I love what happens next in the scene, in our passage. Jesus doesn't squirm with awkwardness, as we would in that situation. He doesn't mumble, I'm no leprosy specialist, why are you coming to me? Instead, Jesus does something extraordinary. Jesus cleans the unclean. And that's our next heading. Jesus cleans the unclean. Jesus could have healed him just by speaking a word, which we see in the next passage. But verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This would have been simply extraordinary. Many mouths in the crowd would be dropping at this point. Why? Because Jesus was touching a leper. He was touching an untouchable man. What extraordinary compassion Jesus shows here. His compassion is indeed deep for the lepers of this world. How long had this man been a leper? We don't know. How long had it been since anyone had touched him? One year? Two years? Ten years? Can you imagine not being touched for a month? No handshake of greeting? No playful rub of the head? No reassuring hand on the shoulder? And so can you imagine years upon years or being an outsider of outsider, outsiders, being an untouchable man. And yet, what does Jesus do? He wells up with compassion for him and touches the man. Surely this touch is the gospel. In all our mess and brokenness, Jesus, the King of kings, reaches out to us and embraces us. Jesus came for the lepers of this world. But then Jesus shows us his authority, so as he is touching the man, like a mother tenderly touching the forehead of her sick child, he then, like a commander of a wrecking crew, orders a leprous body to be made clean. So have a look again at verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured or cleansed of his leprosy. And the walls of sin, sickness, and separation came tumbling down. We're not told what this looked like, but it would have been wondrous to behold. Perhaps scales fell from his skin to leave fresh, pure skin underneath. Perhaps bruises and wounds 
were instantaneously removed. Maybe the tips of his fingers grew back. What we are told is that this man was healed immediately from his leprosy. No intensive treatment lasting months or years. The unclean leper was clean in a moment. What awesome authority. The man who had been unclean can now be made clean. He can now go back to God's people and his presence. The barriers that kept him far away had come crashing down in a moment. But it all seems rather backwards, doesn't it? Now, I'm a bit of a mass geek, and I have an equation for you. Unclean plus clean equals unclean. We, that's how it works. A few years ago, I was a student uh, up in Cambridge, and one of my jobs there was to clean the kitchen on Monday mornings. And after a couple of hours of hard work, it was my pride and joy. It would be gleaming after the big clean. It would be bright and beautiful. And so you can imagine my dismay when sometimes people would walk across a recently mopped floor. Kitchen floors don't make muddy shoes clean. But now Jesus has changed the equation. Unclean plus clean equals clean. Instead of our sin contaminating us, making us more and more unclean, now the equation has been reversed. Jesus' holiness is now contagious. But how can this be possible? How can the clean make the unclean clean? Well, we see the answer a few verses down in verse 17. In 1 to 17, we see three portraits of Jesus as a divine healer. Firstly, the leper in our passage. Next, a Gentile centurion. And lastly, a Jewish woman, Peter's mother-in-law. And the thing they all have in common is that they were all religious outsiders to various degrees. Obviously, the leper being excluded. So to the centurion as a Gentile, a non-Jew. But also women were excluded to some degree in those days. And we're told in verse 17 that all these miracles of healing were to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah in the suffering servant song. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Jesus can make the leper clean because he himself became unclean on the cross. And this miracle of this wonderful cleansing foreshadows Jesus' great work on the cross. As Jesus touches the man, it's a glimpse of what he would do in taking all of our sin and all of our infirmities on himself. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Just as lepers were disfigured by their disease, so Jesus was disfigured on the cross. He was marred beyond human likeness. Just as lepers were shut out from God's presence, so Jesus became a curse, and he was exiled from God's presence, that we might enjoy God's blessing. And on the cross, Jesus, his blood spilt. His blood cleanses us from all our sin. God's anger has been turned away. And through the cross, God invites us into the deepest, most intimate relationship with himself in calling him Father. Cleansing from sin leads to access to God.
And it's worth pausing here just to see just how extraordinary the Lord Jesus is. He has in in himself various qualities, opposing qualities, mixed together in perfect harmony. So we've seen his awesome divine authority to cleanse the leper with an order. But he wasn't distant or removed like the kings of our world. And he doesn't use his authority to trample on others, like so many do. Instead, he uses his awesome authority to show the deepest compassion. He could have healed the leper with a word. But he takes time to touch the untouchable man, to show him that God would welcome him as a dearly loved son. All authority with the deepest compassion. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great Puritans, put it like this. There is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Christ Jesus. The Puritans like their big words. But his point is clear. Jesus is unique in the ways he combines such diverse characteristics. Infinite majesty with transcendent meekness. Dominion over the world with the most wholehearted obedience. Absolute self-sufficiency with the deepest dependence on God. Infinite glory with the lowest humility. All authority with the deepest compassion. And so how are we to respond to Jesus' compassionate authority to cleanse the unclean? Well, this is the very basis of our salvation as Christians. His compassion led him to the cross so that we might be cleansed and welcomed in. But perhaps we've lost sight of the wonder of the cross. Perhaps the cross has just become familiar. Well, why not this week take a fresh look at the cross and marvel what the Lord Jesus has done for you. He bled for you and suffered so intensely so that we could be made clean. Or perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Perhaps you feel weighed down by a shameful past. Perhaps the thought of coming to God seems beyond hope. But look what Jesus did for the leper, the outsider of religious outsiders. Jesus came for you. He loves you. He became a curse for you. And he wells up with compassion for you. And he can make you clean. And he can remove your shame. No one is too far gone, and no one is beyond hope, and no one's shame is too much. Jesus has loved you to the cross, and he will love you to the end. So will you come to him and experience the joy of being made clean? There's a wonderful verse in the Psalms which put it like this. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And so we've seen Jesus has proven his authority to clean the unclean. And lastly, more briefly, we see Jesus proves he is the Messiah. Verse 4. Now our passage ends in a surprisingly odd and unspectacular way. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone. Jesus is saying, keep quiet after the most astounding event in your life. It's very odd. See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And so what's going on here? Why is he telling him to be quiet? Well, 
Sometimes Jesus didn't want people to force their agenda on him. The current expectation was a triumphant Messiah who would overthrow the, the Romans. But Jesus' mission wasn't to conquer with a great army, but to conquer through humiliation, through suffering on the cross. But there's more to the story here. Because you see, in the Old Testament law, there is a whole chapter on the regulations for priests when lepers were cleansed. Leviticus 14. And this is a chapter that the priests had to memorize, as well as the rest of the Torah. The only problem is that lepers were never, ever, ever healed in the Bible. Leprosy was utterly incurable. And yet these priests had to memorize this chapter and recite it again and again. There was only one exception, when Elisha healed Naaman, the Syrian, another outsider of God's people, in 2 Kings 5. And there Jesus is portrayed as uh, a Jesus-like prophet. But the whole point of no one ever being cleansed from leprosy was to point forward to the coming Messiah. Because only the Messiah who cleansed lepers. And that's what we heard in our first reading in Isaiah 35. The great salvation song in the Old Testament. That the blind will receive their sight, the lame will walk, and lepers will be cleansed. And now, Jesus comes on this scene, and he blows Elisha's miracle out of the water. Now we can be sure, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah had come. That was the testimony Jesus spoke of to the priests. A leper had been cleansed. That must mean the Messiah had come. And so we too, like the priests, can have confidence that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. And that all of God's promises to save the world, through him, had come to fulfillment. And so how does Jesus prove his authority? Well, this evening we've seen his awesome authority to clean the unclean. Authority mixed with the deepest compassion. He came for the outsiders of this world, and no one is too far from him. And over the following weeks, we'll see Jesus again and again prove his authority. But for now, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, praise you so much for the Lord Jesus and his awesome authority to clean the unclean. Praise you that no one is too far away from him for his compassion to reach. I pray that his authority would be our anchor and support. And please help us live under his authority. Would his authority give us boldness to live for him and to share his good news with those who don't know you? For your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to